What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. I just got off the live stream with Knut Svanholm, who is today's guest. He is the author of Bitcoin Sovereignty Through Mathematics, as well as his newer book, Bitcoin Independence Reimagined. I talked to Knut about six months ago, I think, uh, around his first book. Always a pleasure to speak with him. We also attended uh, a panel discussion at the Value of Bitcoin conference together. And uh, I finished up his new book a couple weeks ago and uh, thought it would be a good idea to get him back on the show and discuss some of the major themes of the book and, of course, just catch up with him and uh, see how he's doing, what he's thinking about, and what he's working on. So that was it. If you make it all the way to the end, we got lost in a certain tributary uh, of the rabbit hole or a certain tunnel of the rabbit hole uh, later in the show. All in good fun, but uh, always fun to uh, explore some of the more unconventional topics uh, in Bitcoin and some of the more unconventional ideas that are being passed around uh, in a fun and playful way with some of your Bitcoin homies. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoy. And we're live. How's it going, buddy? It's been, it's been <laughs> no, a while. All right. Yeah, it's been a while. Last time was like Value Bitcoin Conference, right? Yeah. When was that? May? June? Early May, June? I believe. Okay. Um, and I've been... I'll just retweet this. Uh... I was um, way too long getting my hands on your book, and that's partially my fault and partially... Amazon's fault because everything has gone to shit here in Canada since COVID with Amazon, uh, especially where I'm living in Newfoundland. Uh, but I finally got it. Got a copy right here. Uh, <laughs> read it a week or two ago. And I All thought right. it was time to have you back on for a general discussion and talk about the book. So before we get into that, how's life, man? You're, lo you're, looking, pretty, you're looking like you're pr living pretty large over there. A nice setup in the sun. You got the forest behind you. Life looks good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I showed you my pet pig. <laughs> the party pig. Let's show everyone else this. I got this for my 40th birthday. It's right up there. <laughs> Horrible OPSEC, Knut. Everyone's going to know which house is yours. <laughs> yeah, I've revealed my pig. Yeah, yeah, Horrible OPSEC. Where does he live? Uh, the one with the big pig on the roof? Yeah, that's Knut. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So life is uh, good? Life is really good. Uh, I just got back from work. Um, the forest here behind me is where I... Uh, there's a little path up to a graveyard here, and then there's a circular sort of jogging uh, route there. <laughs> nice. So I so try what you, to... What have you been up to this yeah. summer? You're not writing uh, right now, are you? Sorry? You're not writing another book right now, are you? No, no. I've been, uh, Bitcoin-wise, I've been writing a couple of articles for uh, uh, for uh, Hodlanots magazine. Uh, Hodlanots and, and uh, Katya's uh, Citadel 21. Yeah, I've seen that. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Uh, it's, such a, it's such a funny side project <laughs> yeah. for everyone in this, I guess. Yeah, there's, so, really... there's so many great projects like that popping off now. You know, it's just so great to see, you know, so much expression, I guess, is the broader term to use to describe this, whether it's like 
you know, because we really had like a boon in books and articles and stuff over the last two years. And now we're getting all this like other forms of creativity, like comic books and cultural zines and, you know, like lots of memeing going on. Like 21ism is a group of guys uh, out of the UK, I believe, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's like an yeah. explosion of creativity centered around Bitcoin. I love it. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, it's so fun to to follow it all and like be a part of. Uh, yeah. So, what uh, when this came out? When this the new book? Uh, I guess it was published May or early June, maybe. Right. And so it's, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, it it got a bit of attention in the beginning uh, since a. Uh, uh, a sentence was censored. Maybe you heard of that. Uh, I did hear like, about it. Tell me, uh, tell me again what the sentence was. Uh, it was just in the about section of the book. I, I, I self-published these things uh, through Amazon. So I'm using their do-it-yourself things there and just just a hobby thing. So, right. uh, so I wrote like uh, uh, written just a couple of months before the corona crisis hit us. The, the ideas in this book are more important now than ever. Uh, something like that. That that was the sentence, and that got stuck in uh, Amazon's uh, surveillance filters. Uh, <laughs> Just saying that that because of the coronavirus crisis, this book is more important than ever. That's it. That's it. That's that got censored, insane. and like we're not going to publish anything except what the government uh, tells us to publish. But like, what what even could be the possible rule around that? Like, you're not allowed to mention the word. Is that the the censorship? Because like, you're not even being critical. You're not suggesting there's any kind of conspiracy or anything like that. You're just saying this no, book I is think, more important now. I think they they had a, a, a like they got a set of rules from somewhere, and then they made the algorithm like waterproof to to not let anything through in order to it, imagine you're you, you don't really know what the rules are or you don't know what they will be in the next week or so because everything happens so fast with the crisis right so so they had to adapt the algorithm to like uh, uh to like filter out anything that had to do with writings about the virus that could be like inflammatory yeah yeah and uh, i guess Maybe the word Bitcoin and the word COVID in the same sentence triggered it, or I don't really know. But this is this is just speculation. But I guess if if I ran a big service like that for self-published materials, uh, I would, and I was facing uh, like huge fines uh, for uh, for breaking the rules or letting anything through. I, I would probably do the same thing, and. This is why we need decentralized solutions and uh, true free speech, which includes money in my mind. We don't really have free speech as long as we, uh, as long as we don't have free speech in money, because I believe money is speech. And you touched on that in the book, but I want to I want to hold you back on that one yet, because there's a bunch of of these kind of core concepts I'm going to bring up from the book. But just before we do that, back to the Amazon publishing process, because I think, I mean, whatever criticisms you might have about Amazon, right? The fact is, is that you're 
it, it enables self-publishing basically. And I, I think there's so many people out there in the Bitcoin space that uh, probably would like to avail of this type of a service. Now, whether it's done through Amazon or elsewhere, I don't know what the, the trade-offs are and what, what the best way to do it is. But can you just like detail what the process was like for you so that like anybody who's an aspiring writer out there or has some ideas that they might want to share can kind of get some insight into how easy or difficult it is to do it? Well, it's pretty easy. You, you download a template for uh, like what size of book you want and uh, just write the book in that format. And uh, you just have to make sure you proofread it and edit it uh, uh, meticulously because uh, otherwise you'll... <laughs> like I, I published one book at first uh, with the articles uh, I, I'd written for the, between 17 and 18. Uh, and uh, I wasn't really happy with that afterwards. So. Uh, that's why I wrote Sovereignty Through Mathematics, to have a proper Bitcoin book attached to my name instead of just a collection of articles. Mm -hmm. But I realized in the process, like, like this is a trial and error thing for me, as I guess it is for every writer. And I just read or listened to, rather, uh, Stephen King's On Writing book, which I found, found some of it to be good. I mean, the, the first half of it was pretty boring because it was Stephen King's upbringing, basically. And uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess a, a writer's life isn't that exhilarating to read about. But then, right. then, <laughs> then he had some good tips on how to write fiction. Because I'm thinking of writing fiction, but can't get an idea good enough to like <laughs> put my mind to, to do that. So um, right now, I'm focused on writing articles instead. Whenever, whenever creativity comes to me. But it was the same thing with the other two books. Like I hadn't written for almost a year when I wrote Independence Reimagined. And then it all started flooding out of me again. So grateful yeah, I, for that. I noticed a, a, a fairly, like, I want to get your take on writing the two books, uh, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and uh, Independence Reimagined, right? Because Independence Reimagined seemed more like not stream of consciousness, but you, you, you tackled like a lot of, of like big ideas, yeah. but can, you know, but like didn't go super deep on each one of them. You kind of like, you know, you know, kind of did a, a summary of a lot of big ideas where sovereignty through mathematics seemed to be more like focused in on, a, on particular aspects. Was that intentional? And like, and, and actually, I guess the second part of that question is why write like, what was the motivation behind this one? Like, what was it in your mind that just you, you decided you had to get it out? <laughs> yeah, really good questions. Uh, I guess the second one was more stream of consciousness because uh, the thing was, since the first one became sort of a success story, <laughs> I thought I, I if I want to, like, uh, I... I I want to contribute more uh, and do more stuff in Bitcoin because I, I really enjoy like talking to you, for instance. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we would Me never too. have talked uh, <laughs> if I hadn't written the book, the first one. Right. And like the more, the more quality content I can produce, the, the more, uh, I mean, it is a meritocracy <laughs> sort of. And like, of course, th that's why we do what we do. That's why we have our terrible OPSEC and everything because we, we, 
we sort of want to make a name for ourselves uh, in this space, I guess, and like share. We, we talked about this in, uh, at the Value Bitcoin conference, I think, but we had a slight different view on it. I, I mean, I, I'm not doing it for fortune and fame, but uh, but like getting attention for something sort of inspires you to do more of that thing. Of course, I wouldn't deny that either. Uh, like, if people appreciate what I do, I can uh, I can produce more of it. Like, and so. Uh, well, there's that side of it. There's that side of it. But I think, and this might be what we talked about back then, and you actually address it in the book as well. And I'll uh, I'll get to that. But I think one of the beneficial aspects of like kind of formally expressing yourself, whether it's through books, articles, podcasts, whatever. Is like yeah. you've got all these thoughts constantly spinning in your mind, and they're 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 pretty untested. Like you contemplate them, and you maybe try to refine them internally, but that's a very kind of like soft process of refinement. But if you express them outwardly, like you put them out there, yeah, th- then that kind of accelerates your journey of understanding things better. It puts your ideas to the fire, and then you're kind of you kind of get in this snowball where you have to keep refining because now it's all out there right and i i think that's yeah, one of the yeah, beneficial exactly. aspects and there are there's some of the ideas in the book are really a lot like that because there are ideas which uh i don't really know how to express them if i don't like exactly. try to explain them to myself first and in order to do that i have to write about them and i have to be quite like i have to use a language with that any, anyone could understand uh, those are ideas like what what a deflationary asset actually does to everything else. Like the uh, one of the ideas in the book is that uh, right now money is the sh- the cheapest thing there is to produce in the world. There's nothing that is as cheap to produce as new money because all you have to do is click a button on a on a computer. Mm. Uh, and what that what that does, if if you like boil everything how the world works down to to its simplest parts it's like money is cheap to produce and therefore the prices of everything else go up over time uh but on the other hand if money were was the 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 absolutely most expensive thing to produce there was the prices of everything else would fall over time and I can't really get this thought out of my head because it's so weird <laughs> when you start thinking about it, uh, like that nothing, uh, I mean, an, uh, an idea would have to be s- so superb to, to actually beat bit- Bitcoin in the long run that, that like only the most worth uh, uh, idea, the, the ideas, only the best ideas would be worth sacrificing your Bitcoin for. Uh, <laughs> and like, yeah, like I said, it's hard to explain just talking about it, but I, 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 I hope I, I, I can manage to explain myself in the book a bit better. <laughs> well, let's, let's hang out there for a second for two reasons, because it's relevant to the previous conversation. I'm just going to read this uh, passage. But, you know, this is something that I, um, I guess, promote all the time when people, you know, there's too many podcasts, too many books, too many articles, too many, whatever. I just think you refine your idea 
and you refine yourself and then you express it and then you repeat. And that's how you, that's how you grow. That's how you contribute value, all that stuff. And in the book, you said, after having discovered Bitcoin and in doing so, also having discovered new ways to think about scarcity and time, I've decided yeah. not I've decided to not hold my brain back any longer, but to put my <laughs> thoughts out there where there are at least where they at least might ignite a spark in someone else's mind. Standing on the shoulders of true giants, here's my take. So I love that part because it's like an invitation to people to say, like, yes, of course, everyone's insecure that they might be wrong or they might be missing something or whatever. But the only way you're really going to refine it is to think about it, put it out there. And if someone yeah. shit, shits on it, then you benefit because you learn. And if someone doesn't shit on it, it's actually a, a genuine, good, unique thought, then yeah, sure, you get some praise or you get some credibility or whatever. And just keep fucking doing that. Uh, just just hearing you reading that passage, and uh, like, it makes it all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I know uh, someone is listening to me, and this is, this is just exhilarating to hear that yeah. the people are uh, reading the stuff and like, well, dude, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, and I've been talking, I've been doing these Bitcoiners in the wild uh, podcast where I just, um, you know, like send out on Twitter who wants to jump on a, a conversation, you know, not known yep. Bitcoiners. And nope. it's so common that I hear people tell me that as a result of getting involved in Bitcoin and kind of discovering Bitcoin Twitter and seeing that there's a community of sharing ideas and testing ideas and this kind of stuff, they've, they've kind of overcome the hurdle that they experienced early in their life of not having the confidence to express, you know, an element of who they are or their intellectual capacity or whatever. And they've just yeah. decided, no, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it, whatever it might be. And they do it and, and they love it. You know, they're, they're realizing they have a voice yeah. and their voice has value and that's how they learn. And that's how, and they can inspire other people to do the same yeah. and learn. It's and it's beautiful. And, and you want your ideas to be debunked uh, and you want people to be, uh, slightly upset at times and stuff, uh, all that plays in like, uh, 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 the, uh, a, a lot of inspiration for 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 like putting my thoughts out there is from uh, Taleb and uh, the uh, what's it called? Not the Black Swan, but the other one, uh, Skin in the Game, of course. Mm -hmm. And the the concept of Skin in the Game really like I didn't like the book <laughs> the first time I read it, but then it stuck with me. There's something like some parts of of skin in the game like i couldn't get them the thoughts out of my head and because i've been i've been having these conversations with my brothers like uh um i have a lot of <laughs> conversations about deep things with my brothers as uh, as i'm sure many other people have as well uh but and, and one of those things is like there's a uh, i wouldn't call it opsec but like with we call it keeping the stealth and like uh like you shouldn't expose yourself too much and blah 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 and all of this but uh, then again that's uh, the flip side of that coin is like uh but you need skin in the game and you need to to try stuff in order to excel and it, in order to get better at like podcasting for instance and interviews like like this talking about a relatively complicated subject and uh, for me in another language than my mother's tongue and like <laughs> improvising like this i know i i get stuck from time to time and like 
but it is uh, th- this helps me get better at stuff uh and that's what it's all about and skin of the game taught me that to a, to a large extent like uh if i don't if i don't put my ass on the line i will never if i, don't, I never have anything to lose i will never gain anything either like risk and reward you have to balance totally. out the two and like totally and you know there's always trade-offs right and you just gotta yeah, yeah. i think that's part of knowing who you are like what you're about you know so like i totally respect everyone who's playing a hardcore opset game right sorry sorry i forgot to turn off my phone <laughs> how dare you knut <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'll put it off Flight uh, <laughs> you know I, I i respect people who do hardcore opsec but i just know like who i am and what i'm about i could never have kept all this bottled up you know so i just no I exactly just accept the trade-off that it meant for me yeah and there there are downsides to that trade-off that like all trade-offs there are ups and upsides and downsides but like <laughs> that, that's what a trade-off is but i i like all the experiences and everyone I've met and all the contacts I've made because because all the connections I've made with the people because I I said screw opsec I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna attach my name to it it's all worth it man <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. now at least yeah and like, well exactly I, I agree with you we'll see how things play out but yeah and I'm I'm 44 in a couple of months uh, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> Or I have I have a shit ton to lose, but anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, but like I'm not afraid of embarrassing myself publicly by by expressing my thoughts and feelings on certain things. Yeah, I'm I like being afraid of being politically incorrect or like uh, on the wrong side of an argument. Or like screw that. Totally. <laughs> Too late and, for that anyway. And then, as I don't have to tell you, but you know, in today's society, so many people censor themselves because they're afraid of the social or financial or job-related, career-related repercussions Ex- of speaking exactly. their mind. On some of the, on, and on most of the time, these are on things that are like, you know, the most obvious things a person could ever say. But they're so yeah. afraid of being uh, canceled in whatever capacity that means. Yeah, that and rightfully so, unfortunately, yeah, because they do get canceled and they do get fired, and there, mm-hmm. there's a risk to it—a very real risk. And just look at the virtue signaling on on LinkedIn, for instance. It's all over the place. I rarely go there. <laughs> yeah, me me neither. But I I need to in my line of work. So right. so like, but. Uh, but it still it makes me sick to see people like promote stuff just in order to like promote themselves as good people yeah and like uh, and i believe uh, on a personal level that uh intellectual honesty is that's where i want to be and that's what i want to attach my name to i want to be intellectually honest and uh and I don't want to just put an opinion out there without having read up on it or thought it through. Uh, but I do want to do that. And I do want to like base my theories and opinions on stuff that I actually thought long and deep and hard about. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I write these books and that's why I'm doing this thing now. 
Yeah, I, I think it's paramount intellectual honesty. And you, you think of the flip side, you, you know, that you, you think of it either the, the act of omission, so kind of muzzling yourself, you know, censoring yourself, and the, the act of actively engaging in falsehoods, let's say, or at least uh, opinions and perspectives that have not been deeply considered, then, I, you know, and this goes into the kind of the power of speech, but you're, you're contributing to the creation of a delusion. And yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's a horrible thing <laughs> because you, you, you don't want to live in a false reality. We want to live in the best approximation no, exactly. of the truth that we can. And if, if, if I'm ever going to be proud of everything, of anything that I do, it, it better be something that I'm genuinely proud of instead of something that I'm just like, proud of by proxy or <laughs> like if i'm doing something for someone else or like someone else's idea or promoting something in my uh, like living another person's dream that's that's not that's not where it's at <laughs> excuse me yeah i i agree and you know i i think about it sometimes i think we all have moments or have had moments where we envy other people, right? So let's just take the quintessential, like the billionaire who's got the plane and the big house and the yacht and all that kind of stuff. And that's an easy person to envy. But I, I find myself env envying nobody more than the people that I see that are the most free, right? The, the, like the uncancelable, the people that are genuinely themselves all the time, no matter what, because that's the ultimate freedom, right? Not, not, yeah, the, that, fact, not the fact that you have you. a fucking yacht. <laughs> What? That's you. Well, I'm trying. When I see your little videos on Twitter, like kayaking or like uh, your your perfect Christmas snow <laughs> landscape there, and like uh, swimming in some majestic uh, Canadian landscape. I mean, you seem like a, a free guy. Well, that's what I'm going for. But you know, that's still only part of it, right? Like being able, being in a beautiful, pristine landscape. That's part of it, and being and feeling yeah. comfortable there and and enjoying that. But like the people that uh, are, have just kind of drilled down on who they are and are free to express that no matter what and no matter where, those are the people that I envy. And I think a lot of people in this space envy those types of people too. And that's why we're so adamant and interested in, in freedom in all of its different capacities and domains. Yeah. I remember like the, the first years in Bitcoin for me, uh, I watched a lot of Andreas Antonopoulos as everyone did. Uh, and like, I, I found his, his life story to be almost more interesting than, than the stuff he said about Bitcoin, <laughs> like that he could like take this new concept that wasn't, that wasn't his, that was open source and just out there. And he did his own thing with it and he traveled the world and like lectured to people about it and like, uh, didn't have a home at the time i mean he 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 told this story on a couple of podcasts mm -hmm. and he, he was just flying around i don't know what he's doing now or if he still lives like that i think he but, does yeah yeah probably but like he seemed like a really free guy uh, that could do like whatever he wanted just by talking about this thing and doing this and of course there was a uh that was inspirational to me just that that kind of lifestyle the, 
but I have a family and things to take care of. So, so it's like, it's not possible to do it in the yes. same way as, as he's doing it. But, but I can still reach for those same, uh, like the, <laughs> I, same goals or like same same values. Um, I, I value time that time that I decide over. Like. If someone else is dictating what I sh- what I'm doing, uh, like I try to maximize the time that I that I actually that I actually own, mm-hmm. because time is like the only thing you can own, and every tool ever created by man is is there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to save us time. Uh, and there's a deep insight in that. Like everything we have is is we created it in order to someone created it in order to save time doing something uh and that that's why it's so dangerous to to like it's very easy to forget that when you get lost in in the push notifications on your phone or mm. uh, or mowing the lawn <laughs> because like the lawn mower saves you time but it's uh, the lawn doesn't <laughs> like that's not a tool uh, if you know what i mean like yeah we 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 create tools to save us time but then we invent new problems which we need new tools to solve (laughs) yeah so we 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 always our upgrades always open up the door for more upgrades right yeah I, I, i guess why do you think that is why are we always why do we always want more time? Is it just a manifestation of our finite lives? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think it's a very natural and a very healthy way to to look at things. Like, if you free up time, you can help more people. Like, and you you can you can live a more fulfilling life if you if you can decide over your own time. You you can you can have a much more purposeful life. Uh, even if that purpose is just to eat well and drink well with your friends every night, that's perfectly fine. Like, but you need you need time uh, in order to to get to do that. You need to do, to own your time. Yeah, let's hang out here for a sec because I think that part of the equation is is obvious, right? Like, we all we're finite beings. Uh, we want to maximize the amount of time that we have. And so anything that saves us time allows us to bank more time, allows us, you know, to to spend our time uh, better than we're interested in. And that's kind of like, a, you know, an, uh, a part of our nature. But yeah. it, when you were saying that, it made me think of, you know, the proponents of like a UBI where, you know, they say, well, if everyone just has enough for the essentials, then this it will unleash this like creative explosion. And I, I usually push back on that assumption because I think like having the time is definitely one thing. It's a, it's a requisite for determining what you want to express and do, but meaning is such an important variable in that equation. And like, it could be a variety of things. It could be you're raising your children. It could be engaging uh, in something that improves your life or the world, but you've got to have that thing that focuses the spending of your time almost. Uh, What what are your thoughts on that? UBI, let's get this thing straight. It's communism in disguise. It's it's all that it is. Like, and if you read up on Austrian economics, you'll know you you, you can see why it will never work. 
because like you cannot create value by handing out coupons to people uh, <laughs> that you've printed out of thin air they add nothing of value to a society in order to add value to society people need an incentive to do stuff to do valuable stuff with their time and the, uh, it, like <laughs> the uh, the ubi is the opposite of that it takes away the incentive uh, people have to to learn from their mistakes and uh, like if if you're engaged in an activity uh like um i i need a good example here like say say that you in, instead of you you could either be a fisherman or work for a uh, uh as a puppeteer <laughs> and the, if you're a fisherman you catch fish right and you can sell them to people mm. if you're a puppeteer you need an audience and you need to sell tickets to them but uh but all, all of a sudden uh the government comes along and gives you ubi so you don't need an audience any longer you can do the puppeteering at your home and you don't you can do it in whatever way you want without having to satisfy a customer anywhere uh, that means that <laughs> all the fishermen could potentially just sit inside and uh, uh, <laughs> have a big wank and produce nothing of value to anyone every day. And like, but this is this is so basic that like, if you have nothing to lose from from being unproductive, you will be more unproductive, and society on the whole will be more unproductive. And why capitalism and free markets get blamed all the time is because we have unsound money and inflationary currencies because it makes people make bad short-term investments because they have a too short time horizon and they make bad investment up on bad investment and there are misallocated resources everywhere and we're just unaware of how much better everything could be if we had a, a, a sound money system and it makes it makes attempting to corrupt the system or co-opt it a paying proposition right it it, it creates that lever of power and influence that you can yes and it's so beyond market value beyond yeah. market dominance yes and if you look upon like america in up until uh especially 71 but even before that like you had almost no taxes and every every graph you could see was going upwards but of course there was still poverty and still misery uh, here and there but i would argue you still have the same problems it's just like it's harder to get anywhere in your society now because you like the 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 burden of the uh, of taxation and i when i say taxation i count inflation as taxation Mm. uh it's really high and it's even worse over here of course but that that's how it is if you look back in time like the the uh the most productive periods in in human history have been uh, in areas and through eras where where people were on a more sound money type system or like where like the last 20 years like for south korea and and uh, places in china where they opened up for these mechanisms to work in like of course they're they're sort of fake uh 
free markets, but but based on the same principles and like uh, Moore's law played played into this a lot as well, I guess, because after we got computers, everything got exponential. So it it seems like we're moving fast forwards, but we could be moving a lot faster if we were on a sound money standard. I totally agree with that. And I'll take a line from the book that touches this. And it says, anything but personal responsibility for your actions is less effective and more costly for a society in the long run. And of course, responsibility for putting a roof over your head, deriving income and supporting yourself is definitely among those. And actually, to give you an example, what's happening here now is because in Canada, the government is paying those who were made unemployed by the, the, the COVID, um, they're giving them $2,000 a month. And what's that, what that's done in the context of, a, of an already, already very um, controlled system. So for example, minimum wage is a, is a price control on labor. And I think it's ultimately destructive uh, to, yeah. to full employment and the, the, the productivity of the economy in general. Anyways, that's, a, that's kind of a, another issue. But what it's done is that all now, when jobs are coming back online, when restaurants and other minimum wage positions want to hire people, those people make the economic calculation. Well, I could make three to four thousand dollars a month by going back to work, or I could stay at home and do nothing and get two thousand. And yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. The, the economists, when they do these policies, think, well, of course, everyone's going to choose the four grand yeah, or the yeah. two grand, but that's not the case. That's not the case. Yeah, yeah minimum wage is even easier to debunk than UBI. Because UBI seems like such a such an uh, altruistic idea, like give everyone money. Uh, but minimum wage, like if you go into a McDonald's anywhere in the world right now, uh, how do you order your food? Is there a waiter? It's a screen, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that screen cost McDonald's something. Uh, and it cost them less than it costed them to hire uh, a waiter. So. <laughs> and we can't stop that. Like the 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 technological uh, evolution will will continue, uh, regardless of what we think about it. There's nothing wrong in that. Like I said before, uh, all tools are are there to save us time. And like, the, the, I think people really they don't get how how easy their lives could be if they were on a sound money standard and just got their hands on a just a small stash of money uh or, sound or money just, or just worked in an economy on a sound money standard i mean that would take care yeah. of all the reduce the intervention yeah because you wouldn't have to work as much right it's the system we're under now that makes us work overtime and like work from eight to five every every single day and weekends as well yeah. Uh, everything is up and running at all times, and we could be a lot more lazy on a <laughs> sound money standard, like because you could work, like you you could work really hard for a month or so and take the rest of the year off. Like if if we were in a sound money standard and there was a global free market, that would allocate so much. Uh, capital goods in the right positions instead of the wrong positions all over the world Mm -hmm. so that everything would work out so much smoother for everyone so like people are afraid that if they don't get the free money they won't be able to afford anything but that's just because prices go up i mean everyone is pissed at amazon because they pay so low wages and they they roboticize everything but 
everyone uses Amazon because it's cheaper than everywhere else. Like we like falling prices. That's not bad for poor people. That's good for poor people. Mm-hmm. Falling prices is more important than higher wages in that sense. Yeah. The and, prices and look, of stuff. If yeah. somebody makes their own independent economic calculation that they're willing to take a wage for their time, they're willing to take $15 an hour for their time because that's maybe the best option that's available to them. Why should yep. anybody other than that person and the person offering the job have any input on that decision? It's, out, it's outrageous. No. no. And that's the thing. Uh, now, now we're entering a, a whole different rabbit hole here. Okay, wait, wait. This is we, all right. Put a pin in that. So remember, remember the the point you want to make now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want to hear it. Yeah, I, we're talking about the book. The thing is, I'm my head is so full of stuff, but <laughs> I really like to talk about the book because I haven't talked about this book nearly enough. So I'm really glad you read it, John, and that that you want to talk about well, it. i've got all sorts of underlines here but I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I just want to read one of these underlines so remember what you're just about to say but i was at a campfire last night and the the economic and financial situation in canada and the respective provinces and the province that i'm in is in- incredibly dire as a result of not just of course the crisis but the crisis has layered on you know 10 to 15x more debt the deficit is, is 10 to 15x more time. The Bank of Canada's balance sheet is 5x what it was. All the provinces are horribly indebted. And so, you know, people are sitting around and yeah. most people have no understanding of, of sound money and how it could play here. But they are starting to think like, what the hell is going to happen? Like, how are we going to get out of this? And typically the response is, if you're in a, you know, you're talking about provincial problems, well, we're going to have to get help from the federal government. But then you say, well, the federal government can't do much to help. And it's, to me, it's interesting to see the kind of, we're not at, at least the the conversations I'm a part of, is not at the shift yet of kind of moving away from thinking the government's going to solve all problems. That's a very much ingrained uh, mentality in Canada and probably in Sweden as well. But um, we're, we're, we're tell me about it. (laughs) We're kind of, we are moving to a stage where people are at least starting to question the capacity of the government's ability to provide solutions because they are, they're in such dire financial circumstances. And I'll read this passage from the book. And you say the creepy thing about letting a third party decide what rules apply at what point in time and to whom is that the system might function perfectly fine until the day it suddenly doesn't. Now you can apply that, that, paragraph to many different things but i think it's apt in terms of the government um applying it to the government because a lot of people think it's kind of this endless piggy bank of problem solving you know money and you can address all these different things and i would argue that it doesn't work perfectly fine but most people's perception is that it it works well enough but i think we're approaching an era where in many different places around the world, it could start suddenly not um, working very well. Yeah, and um, look, yeah, look at Turkey for instance. Like, mm. uh, I, I we used to go to uh, on vacation in Turkey like fifteen years ago, uh, or even ten years ago, and it was a completely different place than what it is now. Uh, uh, and uh, things can go south really fast. Uh, and they're hyperinflating now, and it's it's horrible. Uh, and of course, Lebanon and uh, Venezuela and uh, Zimbabwe and all these places, like I don't believe the populations of those places expected everything to go so wrong as they did. 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe they thought the system was corrupt and they could do nothing about it, but they were still like living day to day. But I bet it's really hard to imagine how shitty stuff can get. <laughs> yeah. So and in, in Western developed economies, we generally think we're immune to that, even though, and most people aren't yeah. familiar with like the early history of a couple hundred years ago in your France and Germany and stuff. You just think, yeah. ah, it doesn't happen here. It happens over there. It doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same thing over and over again. That that that's a that's a cycle a cycle thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, one of the the themes I had in mind when writing the book, and I wrote the last chapter. The last chapter I wrote was the one about uh, how collectivists win. The third chapter, uh, because I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm very interested in what different societal systems lead to in the long run and why collectivists win is is about uh what happens when like when you when you draw the entire graph what happens in the end of democracy well how do they uh, how do democracies fail because i I believe they eventually do Mm. uh and like social media has put that process on steroids so i think will play out much faster uh than it otherwise might have uh and democracies will fail faster than we thought they could just look at i mean in 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 the united states now you can choose between donald trump and joe biden what does that say about democracy those are the two choices you have for the most power supposedly most powerful position on the planet Uh, a, a rambling senile idiot and a rambling narcissistic monster like it's it's completely mad isn't it, <laughs> it is, yeah. i mean uh, i have absolutely no nothing good to say about either candidate really i th- i think it's it's completely bonkers that you have to choose between those two however how how did we end up there and I, I, I and I try to like reverse engineer that in that chapter. Like, uh, for a person, the, the the basic thesis is that the, for a person who cares more about tribalism and fitting in 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 a, a, a with what their friends say and their friends' opinion, instead of like people, or in other words, people that are afraid of intellectual honesty and like sticking out, uh, having another opinion than the rest of the flock. They form groups more easily. They form larger groups more easily, by the very nature of how our minds work. Some of us are more flock-oriented, and some of us are more individualistic. And I guess those, and that, that's why I really love the Bitcoin community because we're a, a flock of individualists, and that exists like nowhere else. <laughs> there's, there's never been a community like that. Like true truly free thinking individualists forming a, a group together that's unheard of sort of <laughs> don't you agree? at least on this scale for sure yeah at least on this scale and at this speed in which we have these conversations how how fast these memes evolve, evolve and everything there's never a dull day in bitcoin right <laughs> <laughs> you know i i was thinking about it recently and you know the sovereign individual uh is a great book in addressing the kind of the what happens socially in the latter stages of um 
this kind of evolving change in the logic of violence and how technological innovation influences the logic of violence. And that's yeah. why it was so prescient in, in articulating what we should expect to see in the first couple decades of the new millennium. And it was really spot on in, in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate the book club episodes. Uh, oh, I read thanks. both the books, so yeah. it was really, really fun to hear a discussion about them. And I was like, I should should have been in this discussion. <laughs> well, you have yeah. to join. You have to join one in the future. We're gonna. Yeah, let me join the human action one. <laughs> oh, gee. I don't know when, when we're gonna do that one. Um, but yeah, marathon we'll get, episode. We'll get you in on it. But I was thinking, you know, the part or, or will. part of the explanation for um, what we're seeing today. And so, and I say part because there's obviously many variables, but it kind of seems as if, if the fundamental organizing uh, mechanism for human economic and therefore social interaction, for the thing that sets the rules of society as it were, and I would, I would say that's the money largely, yeah. Um, yeah. if that loses its capacity to do that, Right. So if it becomes more abused, if it becomes more co-opted, if it becomes more corrupted, then the the kind of the cohesion that that generates typically when it's as it should be has to move to the social layer even more and even more and even more. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, what I think the reason why the, this PC culture, this don't, you know, upset the apple cart, this don't insult, this no hate speech, this, this is all a manifestation of like what like a, a mechanism that really shouldn't be responsible for cohesion the cohesion should be at the base layer of society again in the money but because the money is failing that cohesion is being moved up to the social layer and that's why it's exactly. one causing so much like it's almost like people are afraid not to agree with one each other but at the like and there's so much like kind of softness in the society but at the at the flip side of that because it's such a important and sometimes contentious thing, you get this balkanization of, of kind of social groups because they're kind of fighting for the right to be to the dominant narrative in society because the, yeah, fighting, yeah, yeah. And the dominant narrative is that cohesion. And so it's interesting to look at it in those terms yeah. that as the money fails, the attempt for cohesion will go up to the social layer, but that is not where it should be because that's the place where it's most fragile. No, no, no. And uh, I, I recently watched the, uh, oh, what's it called, that hippie university in Seattle, uh, where, uh, where Brett Weinstein got expelled from. The, oh, Evergreen. Uh, Evergreen. Evergreen, exactly. There was a documentary about that and about the incident there. And it's like jaw-dropping because everyone in that place is, they're, they're fighting a, a, a social battle on, like, about totally irrelevant stuff mm -hmm. and no one is like being uh, uh productive in the correct or like contributing anything to anyone else uh excuse me for a moment yeah oh. hey. <laughs> uh, sorry about that uh so uh, uh and how how weird that place had uh, how how far that thing went on? They they like when there's no one. No one is incentivized to like sort things out or or like uh, uh, or say say hang on a minute or uh, <laughs> wait but why or something like that. When when no one is incentivized to to like 
uh, deviate from the flock, so mm. to speak. How 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 completely disastrous that can be, and it's sort of like Nazi Germany, a miniature version of it, mm-hmm. because that was exactly the same thing. It's just flock mentality. That's what it is, and it's so scary because most humans are are more concerned with with like sticking to whatever whatever lie they've been told is the truth like and and clinging on to that yeah well here here's a great a quote from the book that addresses precisely this <laughs> and it says diversity is a term commonly used to describe everything but what truly needs to be diverse in a society namely people's opinions and that's what you know that's what we're seeing and it there is a big corollary to nazi germany because what was what's well there, there's many elements involved again of course but the 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 kind of condemnation uh of someone for because of their ideas was represented yeah. there and it's represented at the evergreen thing and it's yeah. represented all over the media and all over the place in the western world today people are being condemned for their ideas well, their and their ideas that they say Exactly. Books are being burned. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's completely backwards. And and people, it's so scary that people don't see this and that they don't like. It seems like no one has read Orwell anymore. (laughs) Like, and like, it used to be the other way around. I mean, I remember like, it wasn't that long ago that the fight was the opposite. Like, we we have to fight racism, which meant we have to not care about race because that's what racism is caring about race mm-hmm. so so uh, uh so in my mind it's just so depressing to see people focus on the superficial at all the time everything everything but people's thoughts and opinions they don't matter it's just the superficial traits yeah. and it's 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 just sad i mean i don't care i i think some of the um, anonymous uh Twitter handles are some of the best Twitter handles. And I don't care who sits behind the handle. I care about the ideas. Mm-hmm. I have I have no uh, if, if it's a if it's a like <laughs> a muscular blonde-haired white guy with the uh, with swastikas tattooed all over his body or like a a pitch black muslim lady with uh, uh, lesbian tendencies <laughs> doesn't matter at all to me. I don't care about the superficial. I care about what people think. Yeah, and, and <laughs> like we, I care about what people do. What what's their behavior? Like yeah, yeah. Fine to like you can hold the craziest opinions you want. Like you can hold something that's completely opposite to my view. Yeah. You can be the biggest racist bigot thing in the world. Yeah. But if you don't act on them, then I don't, you know, I'm not going to try no, to no, no, change no. your mind. Exactly. Our opinions is the wrong word. Now, like people's ideas matter. Mm. Ideas, not, not people's ideas. Ideas matter, period. Right. Black swans matter. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, you know, this, this conversation and what happened at Evergreen and what's happening everywhere with, uh, you know, the, the stifling yeah. of, of speech and different, different ideas and the, the, you know, the cancel culture. Uh, there's a line here in your book that says, we're not immune to barbarism until we're truly self-sovereign. And so we yeah. touched on the barbarism part, but I'm wondering if you could elaborate on 
the relationship between self-sovereignty and that kind of barbaric behavior we're seeing all over the place. Yeah, this ties in to what I said before about what's taking up my uh, Oh, good, good. I'm glad we didn't forget that. Yeah, yeah, because... uh, And I recently wrote an article about this for, for, for this lovely magazine. Citadel 21, baby. Yeah. Uh, and that is in a society and we're he- we're here now by the way all of this is possible and not only possible but it it's happening uh, in a society when everyone on earth can keep any amount of wealth in their heads without anyone else even knowing if it's there or not cross any border do whatever they like with it Everyone can memorize 24 words. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's quite hard, but everyone can. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the whole concept of, of information being literally val- valuable as, as opposed to metaphoric, metaphorically valuable. I mean, information has always been valuable in, to people. But with Bitcoin, the, the, the information is the scarce asset it, it not only represents the scarce assets it is the the valuable thing it is the asset and that changes everything every concept but like we have to rethink ownership completely with this with this thing because it's such a different beast and you can't really own stuff collectively anymore like of course you can have multi-sig solutions but uh, and stuff like that but but that's the limit to it. Like, I have a hard time, like I say in the book as well, I have a hard time figuring out how a nation state or a corporation can truly hold Bitcoin. And when I hear news about this, like, what's it called? Micro strategy, yeah, this firm yeah. that bought uh, 21,000 Bitcoins or whatever. Uh, who, ho- who owns the private keys? They, they have a custodial service of some kind, I guess. But there's there's still a guy with the keys somewhere, you know, <laughs> and uh, I think these things slowly over time there will be harder and harder to to like, and there will be so many bitcoins lost in big vaults of uh, hardware wallets, uh, <laughs> and like when information is literally valuable, it it turns everything on its head because when 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 you can't know how much a per- person is worth. Or you can't take the money from him or her. You 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 can't you you can't really you, you can't use force to you you can't you can't steal from them by being violent, not in a meaningful way anyway. Mm-hmm. That means that you have to provide something of value for your fellow man in order to enrich yourself from them. Like so, it's the most peaceful revolution there ever was and like it it gives us a tool to try the ideas of of guys like mises and uh, and uh, rothbard uh, uh and like a non-aggression principle libertarian uh like anarcho-capitalist i know those those words ring differently to to different people but the the, the base at the base layer of all those philosophies is like a non-violence principle that you shouldn't be violent to other people yeah uh and when you when you can't extract value from people by 
by being violent to them uh when you have more to gain from being their friends like if i befriend a guy with uh uh 10 million dollars in bitcoin in his head it's it's better for me to befriend that guy than to shoot him in the head and try to get because then they would be impossible to extract from the skull <laughs> you know yeah are you following me? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and you know, this again is one of the things that the sovereign individual touches on when it says it's changing the logic of violence. And so we should expect to see uh, less violence enacted in society because that which is the object of, of theft, that which is the focus of, of vi- uh, theft and the accompanying violence yeah. is less easily uh, confiscated from people via violence, and that so that yeah, exactly. changes the dynamic. And yeah, we, we've already seen this without Bitcoin. We've already seen this transitioning into an internet economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, violent conflict is on a decline. Of course, we have the wars in Syria and everything, the horrible stuff happening here and there. But on the whole, for the last fifty years, we're we're living in peace times like never before. And yeah, I think yeah. this is very. There's a very strong connection to to uh, information being valuable rather than stuff. Yeah, that's and behind you know, this. You know, it's very interesting, and of course, you know, it, it's probably prudent for people to have uh, a backup of their seed somewhere other than their own mind. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. In exceptional circumstances, the fact that that's available is wonderful, but perhaps you you don't want to rely so much on that. Yeah. But but it's just it's 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 a it's a my it's a bit of a mind bender to think that should you the the fact that that's even possible means the internal concentration of tradable liquid value uh, of yeah. of of potentially infinite magnitude you know yeah. because your 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 keys your seed could could unlock whatever amount of of market value on the network and so. Just think about that for a second. Previously, you know, our ideas and our creativity were like potential value that we had to enact in the world or through certain infrastructure in order to realize and and have value accrue to it as a result of being externalized. But now yeah. we have this this market highly liquid concentrated form of globally accepted uh, uh, accepted value that we can store in the ether of our minds, of yeah. our consciousness. I yeah. mean, it's a it crazy, truly is crazy thing. It's truly mind-blowing. And the first time you, you like send Bitcoin from one paper wallet to another, you, 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 can, you can feel the magic in this. You can say like, this paper was worth a lot just a second ago, and now it's worth nothing. <laughs> and I beamed the value from that one to that one. It's just, it's simply magic. And like, when I say like seed phrases in your head, I, I don't mean that literally. It's it's just for the sake of abstract argument. Like information is just as valuable if you just know the location of your hardware wallet or whatever. Uh-huh. Like so 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 it's the the point is that we have to rethink ownership because it's not it's not tied to size. Uh, for instance, if you have gold, if you have a vault of gold, that that takes up a lot of space. <laughs> And it's easily confiscatable because mm. it's a huge but with a with a Bitcoin hardware with a USB drive that can contain whatever amount, small or big, like uh without changing the size of the actual object. The point is that 
when information can be that valuable, it's it just changes everything. Yeah, and I I, I think we're so like we we haven't even we haven't even started yet. This is this is. Uh, <laughs> People think they're late into Bitcoin. Uh, can you imagine that? I mean, we haven't even like people. They don't even get the that this is something to they even think about. It's it's so it's so mind bending. Did you see the tweet from Hodlonot that I retweeted? Because you just uh, when by the way, uh, I think it was this morning or maybe yesterday. He tweeted like. Imagine something that uh, on the internet that can't be copyable. So I just I just highlighted that and copied it and retweeted it with the same message, mm-hmm. and that became sort of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so people started to retweet it and copy the same because it really, if you know how easy it is to copy something on the internet, you know you you can start to see how much of an achievement absolute digital scarcity really is, a yeah. finite thing. In the digital space, it's just mind blowing, and yeah, I can't it, stop it, thinking about it. No, I think we all have the mind virus, mate. But it, it's it's like it's as if we're cavemen and we just discovered fire, and we still have like spaceships, exactly. spaceships to build, and people are thinking yeah. it's late. But but just to circle back, to you put a kind of capstone on on what you were saying about um, ownership, because this is a line from the book as well that I underline is, and uh, you know I, I I harp on this quite often in podcasts and on Twitter, and and I've come to the realization through being involved in Bitcoin that, you know, you don't have rights, you have permissions. The, yeah, exactly. only, the only thing you own is that which you can successfully defend. And yes. uh, in the book, this is very important. A, a, a government can never give you a right. They can just give you permission. They have taken all your rights and they've given you permission. Yeah. Free trade agreement is an oxymoron. And free trade book, should be everywhere. Yeah. Book, you say, ask yourself what ownership really is and which, if any, of your possessions that are truly yours. And I think the same principle applies because yeah. if you can defend something against whatever, government or other attackers, then yes, you can claim ownership of that. But if you can't, then it's a temporary permission granted to you exactly. by someone who can overcome your defenses. Yeah. yeah. I remember one of my first, like, Maybe my fourth year in school, I had a, a mid-school teacher who told us about money and that they aren't really ours. We're just borrowing in front, borrowing them from the government. And uh, he, he truly believed that that uh, th- this it was in his <laughs> DNA. I hate the word, but like uh, like he didn't view money as something that he owned. And he was totally fine with the idea that uh, he was ruled by by another entity, and that we were just borrowing stuff from the government, uh, and that's that's how societies worked and were supposed to work. And I mean, uh, even then, it started to to get my my brain going, you know, like. <laughs> How can this be so? How can, how can an entity have, have this much power? <laughs> well, you say this in the book, when a person has nothing to lose from bad decision-making, bad decisions will be made. And that's characteristic yeah. of government in general because they have the money printer, right? And it kind of makes them immune exactly. from bad decisions. But you know, you, yeah. you, touch, you touch on an interesting point and it's after you get involved in Bitcoin and the further you go down the rabbit hole and the more of these conversations and contemplations you have, 
it's fun sometimes to look back on who you were like five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, because you can start to see the thread that, or the threads that kind of made it, made you primed for getting Bitcoin and being interested and falling down that rabbit hole. Whereas before you might've, you know, they were kind of disparate, but now it it kind of Bitcoin has focused a lot of these underlying curiosities or philosophies and it's brought it to amazing synthesis that you can behold and use and engage in and leverage. And it's, it's so excellent. Like, like, and like I said before, it's, it made people like us connect. And, and it's such a beautiful thing because to see that there are other people that think third thoughts about stuff and not only second thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I loved your conversation with Reed Womack, by the way. About the alien kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you saw I wrote an article right after. I couldn't I help did. myself. Uh, and I noticed, like, you can tell that he's not been in this space for that long. But not to talk down on the guy, because I love the guy. And he helped me up with a book. And he's, uh, it seems like a super dude. But, but there are some tells that he needs to fall down the rabbit hole and stay there for a while longer. He's not. <laughs> I, I know I know what you're saying. Look, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's so much to consider in the rabbit hole that if you only yeah, yeah, got yeah. here like less than a year ago, it's impossible to have con- yeah, like, yeah, yeah. properly but contemplated everything, I, right? I sort of envy that position though, <laughs> because like be, be, tumbling down the rabbit hole has been such a, such an amazing journey, and I, I never had a mind virus like this, like making Dude. me think so much about. So many different things. I, I totally agree. But right before we started this podcast, I was just thinking to myself, I was looking over some of the underlines that, that I made in your book. And even though, like, I know what you're saying, like, it'd be fun to be back at the beginning, but I still feel like I'm about to jump out of my skin every day with excitement about, you know, what I'm learning and what this means and, you know, new lines of thinking that were inspired in me from different authors and writers in the space. Like, it's yeah. just as exciting now as it ever was, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me too. Uh, there's always something new to think about. And there's a, like, when I'm jogging sometimes, I get this, I get a new thought in my head and I, I just can't stop thinking about a single thing that just gets stuck. This last time was Alien Coin, which I found <laughs> was a really, really wonderful abstract thought experiment. And I, I still can't really wrap my head around it because, <laughs> like, the whole concept is, uh basically if if an alien race came here and they had a better bitcoin which had a longer proof of work chain what how would we interact with them and would we adopt their coin mm-hmm. but there is like there's so much to that first of all the odds of that happening <laughs> i mean it's easier to just guess the private key of a, a person's uh, bitcoin address than the the, the the odds of finding someone's bitcoin by just guessing is probably higher than an alien race having a longer blockchain. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we won't fall down that rabbit hole. I'm uh, done thinking about it. And, I, and I'm not entirely sure of the answer. So yeah. I don't, I, it's a funny thought experiment. Yeah. Uh, but, one of the, obviously the title of the book is Independence Reimagined. And one of the lines that sticks out as kind of fundamental to the thesis of the book is, um, it has always been and still is about you versus those that wish to control you. 
And, you know, yeah. we've obviously touched on this theme in the course of this conversation and it's, it's wrapped up in freedom and a lot of the things we talk about and reducing dependencies yeah. on a variety of, of mechanisms in society. What, uh, just elaborate on that for me because it is kind of the core thesis of the book. Yeah, I didn't hold back, did I? <laughs> now, it felt like, like you said before, this book was more of a stream of consciousness thing. And I, I, I really didn't. I sort of censored myself in sovereignty, I think. I, I, but, but Not as much as the personality question. came through. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more like, hang on, follow, follow this thought thread and see where it leads. Right, like, right. If you take it to its extreme, where, where does it lead you? And like, uh, yeah, it's it's about you and those versus those uh, versus those who wish to control you. Like, independence is what is independence, and what what entity apart from a a person can really be independent? Uh, can you really be independent in a society where you're? forced to interact with other people in any way or like like the 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 individual is the ultimate minority group and it's but therefore the individual the rights of the individual is the is the most precious thing and the thing we should focus on if we ever want to have a society worth living in like the rights of the individual are the only they are the only things that matter yeah and uh, to to understand that truly, you need to realize that a government can never give you anything. It can just take stuff away. Right. Well, it can give you a coupon. <laughs> Here's your COVID coupon. But that's a short-term thing, and it will keep you shackled and keep you dependent on them. And you will never be free in a mindset that accepts that, Yeah. that yeah. accepts accepts your overlord so go ahead bite the bloody atom that feeds you it's uh, uh yeah there's meat in there but you know you know why bitcoin <laughs> one of the reasons why bitcoin uh excites me so much is because i've always had the mindset that you just articulated right i, I didn't want to have i wanted to reduce to the extent possible my dependencies that means yep. dependencies with debtors. That means dependencies of, you know, uh, supporting myself, all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, it's hard in, if you're living in an urban environment. For example, like I've always wanted, even as a young kid before Bitcoin, to kind of live in the forest off the grid, my own energy, like my own food, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Right. And I know a lot of Bitcoiners kind of resonate with that now. Well, but then I spent 10 years living in an urban jungle in Shanghai. Right. So like yep. nothing is you're not it's the most dependent. You're dependent on the subway and the lights and the heat. And the, and the, yeah, but, no, but, but they're two different things, though. Did, did you do that by your own free will or were you forced to do it? To, because to, you to what to move to live there? Yeah. yeah most of most of these decisions that you made, like yeah, living sure. in it Shanghai. My, it was my choice. Yeah. And but, living in Shanghai probably enabled you to do the other stuff. Right. Because you made money there or well, something. Sure. Like that. I don't know your story, but it's, like, it's a, a trade-off, right? It's, it's a, a trade-off. Trade yeah, yeah. And of course, and I'm not trying to deny that, that that will always exist. You will always have to make choices because everything in life is limited. Uh, and there's always a trade-off. And like, but a, a freedom seeker seeks to have a life that is... Uh, 
that that is his own. Right. <laughs> like right. If, right. if if you have an urge to decide your own fate, or <laughs> is is that is that the correct way of yeah, yeah, putting yeah. it? I don't know. Like, uh, and and that's what matters. Uh, and mind you, that the the route there might not be to uh, accumulate as much money as possible. That is probably not it. People who do that are usually uh, shackled to to their possessions. So their possessions rule them. Mm-hmm. My my grandfather said said something about that 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 like. A, a phrase that got s- s- stuck through the generations uh, about w- what you can. Uh, oh, what's what's the translation of the uh, that which you can admit to yourself that you don't really need. You own you own that thing. If you can admit to yourself that you don't really need a thing, mm-hmm. you own that thing. Mm-hmm. So if uh, a motorcycle, for instance, I don't really need a motorcycle. Therefore, I own a motorcycle. I own it because I decide. Right. It does not. Motorcycle own does not decide over me. I decide over it. Yeah. And yeah. that is what ownership is. And this, this, this goes back to the thing about how we have to rethink ownership when information is literally valuable. Uh, and oh, there are so many, so many other rabbit holes that open themselves up here, aren't there? <laughs> like, like the whole thing. Um, uh, so well, I want to, I want some of those rabbit holes, but all I was saying with that example of Shanghai, I agree. Like choice, your ability to choose is yeah. the indicator of freedom. All, yeah, all choice, I, choice is ownership. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, all I meant was that, you know, so that, that kind of ethos was, was in me prior to Bitcoin. And I would sometimes get into, you know, debates with friends and stuff like this is, should be, this should be available to everybody and then everyone is free to make their own choices um but you know what what excites me about bitcoin so much is that i don't think like we're gonna get what bitcoin allows for like it's gonna impose its its economic truth and it and its and its social impact regardless of who wins a debate about what it is or isn't or how to use it yeah yeah that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of it Exactly. Yeah. So we're we're kind of at the mercy of what Bitcoin permits and what it prohibits now, and we'll see how that how that plays out. Uh, but I'm, yeah. I I think it's going to be a very positive change to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might be. I heard Seyfedin say this just today. I think it was one signal. Uh, like uh, he he believes that uh, this it might actually make the transition more peaceful than whatever would have happened without bitcoin and like i've been thinking about that a lot will this be will this like will there be a violent transition to into a bitcoin uh, economy in the world or 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 will it be peaceful and it's it's very hard to tell uh i it's like everything with the future it's hard to predict that's uh but but in a way, it's hard to see how Bitcoin could make things more violent. I mean, it is the tool for it is a tool for making violence more pointless. Uh, so, while it might be violent, and we might experience this, uh, experience it, uh, the transition into high, into hyper Bitcoinization, while it might be violent, I think it still will be less violent than if 
what would have happened if we didn't have this thing? Oh, that would have been absolutely. even worse. So, so that's that's the thing. Even if we're in for a for dark times now for a hundred years, we don't really know that. But if the, if that is, then I believe we have a better chance of getting out on the other side, uh, less scarred than than if we didn't have Bitcoin. So regardless, this is this is the trench I'm willing to dying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen pitchfork revolutions before, and they're usually violent. And the problem is, is that they usually just reset the same old system, just with a different group of people. Yeah, yeah, same, know. same as the old boss. And right. Like... So you, you just you're still in this virtuous cycle. Whereas this may, yeah, I don't know how it's going to play out either, but I, I feel like this may stop that virtuous cycle. You know, yeah, or at yeah. least change it dramatically. We can't know how things will will evolve and change in the future. But, um, you know, I, I, I agree. Of course, we're all hopeful for a transition that is, is smooth and, and minimally uh, destructive. But it's, it's really difficult to imagine the existing system unwinding itself without um, some chaos, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really... Yeah, but like I said, everything that has to do with big changes in the future, it's hard to... It's hard to imagine what they will actually be like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, a question for you, John: uh, How do you think this book compares to the to the uh, the first one, to sovereignty? Well, like I said, I think sovereignty was more more focused and structured, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of dug in more deeply to the concepts that it attempted to cover. Where I took I took this one as like Canute, like I said, not stream of consciousness, but more on that bent, right? Where you're just kind of like, you're, you're synthesizing what's going on in the world today and what Bitcoin means to you. And you're just kind of like touching briefly on each one of them. What's I mean, going on in my head? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like a short book, right? It's a hundred pages. Uh, yeah. and, um, and you like each one of the chapters in this book could be its own like 300 page book, right? These are big yeah themes you're dealing with as we discussed a little bit on this on this conversation yeah. so i think, I think it's exactly like... the same length as sovereignty oh really <laughs> uh, yeah the same number of pages like 105 or 106 okay. i read sovereignty that's, like... that's all that's all by chance i read sovereignty <laughs> whenever it came out so that was that two years ago or, or less oh uh no one like one and a half year no, uh, yeah, when, no, uh, the thing is, I, I think no one heard of it, <laughs> uh, uh, ever heard of it till like September, October last year when I brought uh, a bunch of them to Riga. <laughs> right. I mean, I released it in like June. Yeah. Well, so I, I can't remember exactly, but I just felt that one was more structured. And this one, you were just like, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to touch on like a bunch of the yeah. things that I wanted to touch on and just, you know, not go into too great a depth, but make my point sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, Canute, that's all true. And, yeah. <laughs> and and actually, we should we should just give a shout out. Uh, can you talk about the art that's on the back of the book or the? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, cover? yeah. And like I said before, I forget uh, another shout out to Reed Womack who helped me with this. And on you see on the on the back side of the book, there's also a guy that I forget to mention from time to time. That's a meme by Swede Toshi. The sweet guy making um, like making it. meme pictures out of 
semi-famous Bitcoin people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, art, the art is like a mechanical, uh, uh, well, how would you describe it? It's like a... The art is one of the, oh, did you fold that many pages? Like, ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's so cool. Uh, anyway, uh, the art is, is simply spectacular. It's a guy called Fractal Encrypt, and it depicts a... Uh, a uh, statue uh, called the Bitcoin full node statue. That's right, yeah. Which he sold for a whole Bitcoin. Uh, uh, the first, the, uh, the 3D prints those things. And he's an artist in, in Florida. I, I believe he lives in Florida. But I, I, the thing is, I saw it on Twitter. Uh, like, uh, th there was an uh, uh, like art exhibition in Miami. Uh, where I saw that thing, and uh, and they were just filming it, and all these numbers and all this great artwork, and I was just floored by it. Because yeah, it's I a functioning, it a mechanical piece. node, right? Yeah, it's it's not it's a prototype in okay. this state, so it's not functioning yet. But okay. I guess his plan is to like have little LED screens everywhere and have it fully functional and like ticking wow. like a clock and everything. And it's it's such a great piece. Uh, and then when he filmed it, I saw the words sovereignty through mathematics engraved in one of those circles. If you see the backside of the book there, uh, at the, on the top of it, it says sovereignty through mathematics. And it says virus in numeris and all these other phrases. Like, But there's, uh, <laughs> it's in the upper right corner somewhere, I think, or the up, yeah, close. It's, close it's, to the, the it's edge. Hard, of it's a bit hard to make it. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's a half. There of it is. You half see of it, it is yeah. there. Yeah. 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 The sovereignty yeah. through. Oh, okay, mathematics. Yeah. yeah. So it goes from the back to the front. But when I saw that, it's like, oh, isn't that funny? He he uh, he uh, he like found the same phrase as I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, so uh, so I tweeted at him like. Oh, that's the title of my book. Have you seen this? Like, maybe there's a connection here somewhere. And it turns out that he listened to my book while uh, he listened to Guy Swan read it while making the uh, the statue, while designing the the artwork. So, so I was really my jaw was on the floor there. Like, oh, I'm a part of that piece. <laughs> like, that's the coolest thing I ever seen. <laughs> so, so, so I contacted the guy. A really nice guy. Uh, he has much better OPSEC than any one of us. But anyway, uh, and I asked him if he would like to design the artwork for my new book. And uh, then when the book was, uh, and he agreed to do that and blah, blah, blah. And I don't usually do these things, but uh, okay for you, okay. And when I was done with the book, I thought like, uh, why should I bother this guy more and like sit here and wait for a new art? I have the perfect cover art for the book already. I'll just put that. I'll just ask him if I can use the picture of the full note and put it on the cover. And he agreed to that. And I got a more high res version of the of the picture and just put it on there because I think it's it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a super cool project. Yes. And Hodlonot and uh, Daniel Prince also helped me with the book. I saw uh, Daniel yeah. Prince, the uh, the co-host of the Once Bitten podcast. 
Yeah. Uh, the secondary host, you would call it, kind of the, the Sioux host, if you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, the, the boomer, the boomer part of yeah, hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The afterthought host of the Once Bitten podcast did the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The forward and yeah. the afterward, right? Or no, the afterward. No, no. Hodlin Hod- 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 wrote the for- forward. Right. right. So the the book begins with the sentence, "Being a space cat, I have a rather independent mind." That's right. Which is like, right. like I, I could have come <laughs> up with a better sentence to start the book with. Of course, and, I'm just kidding about Princey. I love uh, him yeah. and the podcast and Lauren. And yeah. Everything. Shout out to Lauren as well. Yeah, <laughs> the best. The best podcast hosts ever, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, the future is bright for that one. Yeah. And another one of the greats, uh, of course, Guy Swan. Uh, mm. Helped me out not only with ma- turning it into an audiobook in a record short time, but uh, but also with proofreading and editing it. Yeah, uh, guys. I really pre- appreciate all the help. Like... I literally couldn't have done it without without the help from the community, and I I I really love this collaborative spirit that's here, and it's so there's really nothing to it. Just people help each other, like yeah. And I'd like to help others as well, of course. Uh, I love this little projects all over the, all over Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> It's phenomenal, man. I um, I sometimes get pushback when I use the term community because I think some people think that it means that everyone has to think the same and act the same all the time, which obviously is not the case at all. But the fact no, of the matter is, is no. that I have connected with so many great people in this space and connected yeah. with them privately and have built relationships. And everyone is, well, everyone that I've connected with is just, you know, as good as gold or as good as Bitcoin. And uh it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. It, it truly is. And like, I listen to you pod like every now and then. I, I tr- there, there, like there's an ocean of podcast episodes. <laughs> uh, and you try to listen to as much as you can, but sometimes you feel like listening to an audiobook, and like sometimes you have to. And I have like two hours per day, Monday to Friday, where I can really listen to something. Mm-hmm. And that's commuting from and to work. So uh, so two hours a day, I can, 10 hours a week, something like that, I can devote to, to listening to podcasts. And sometimes I, <laughs> I devote another hour or two and I just fall into a rabbit hole. Like, and sometimes the conversations are so good that I have to start writing something, like with the Reed Womack thing there. <laughs> or, uh, or like, uh, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's so good, some of the stuff. Like, did you hear that guy, uh, the German guy in the beginning of the value bitcoin conference talking about how you could view bitcoin as a new element no uh, and he 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 made connections to chemistry and like we've we've discovered a new element and that the 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 old coins or the shit coins they were instable isotopes of this new element like it was such a beautiful way of framing it so i like, remember I his so name lord by it. uh oh yeah yeah we need to make a shout out here because that was that was just too good. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, where is it? <laughs> no, no, I, I can't spend the I'll, spend this I'll, conversation I'll it, searching for something. It's I'll just put weird. it in. I'll put it in the description of the video. I'll, you send it to me later, and I'll put it in the description. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Um, uh, 
Knut, it's always fun talking, man. Uh, have we not covered anything you wanted to cover? Do you have any last words to say before we shut this down? <laughs> oh, it's so sad. We had to shut it down. But uh, anyway, I can, I can ramble on for ages. But, hey, man, like, if, you got, if you got more to get off your chest, go for it. Uh, no, uh, no, not... Not that we can fit into a single pod episode. I have like, <laughs> like, like I, I feel I haven't discussed financial atheism uh, as much as I would have liked to. Like that, that's also the provocateur in many ones to to like battle all these uh, conservative Americans about <laughs> how you can view Bitcoin as financial atheism. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask you now what the fuck you mean by that. I don't even know what you mean. Give like, me, yeah, give me a, give me the summary. Uh, the summary is like uh, the burden of proof is on the one making the claim. That's how I view religions, and I view nation states as religious entities, like organized religions. Mm. So, so they're making claims about. This is how it works. This is how the world works. This is what you should believe in. Uh, and religions have a way of framing, like organized religions have a way of framing things like uh, this is God. It's an entity that exists. Either it's one God or it's many gods or like they all have different. There's like 5,000 different religions and they all have different narratives for explaining how the world works. And but and they're all wrong, basically. And they're, they 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 all base their theories on absolutely nothing at all, which is verifiable. And therefore, I choose not to believe in anything until, until I'm convinced that what I'm hearing is truthful. And I'm usually not convinced until I can do the verification myself. So that's how I view money as well, because in my opinion, fiat monetary systems are just uh, they're just religions. They tell you this thing is valuable because it's uh, sort of scarce, or like it's uh, we, we, we don't worry about it. We'll we'll take care of the monetary policy. Mm -hmm. So there is no way for you to verify the total supply or even the total supply on the market uh, of a fiat currency or even of gold. It's just other people telling you that they're valuable. And with Bitcoin, you can. You can, by running your own node and even using just just calculating by hand, you can verify that uh, that they are actually scarce and that you can't uh, counterfeit them uh, and you can't make make new bitcoins. You can you can verify all this that this is true and you don't really have to trust in third parties. Uh, not not to the same extent as you have to in other systems anyway. And therefore you can see Bitcoin as monetary atheism, like the rejection of faith-based value claims or faith-based scarcity claims. So if you reject all the claims that are made without evidence about something's scarcity, uh, how finite, uh, uh, a monetary asset is, uh, then then you're basically an atheist because you reject notions that you don't believe in and you re reject narratives that don't make sense to you. And that's how I view Bitcoin. It's it's not, and uh, this is why I'm having like sort of a 
a friendly fight with the guys that call it Bitcoin or religion and the Friar Haas and uh, Gigi and the, those guys, they, they, uh, the, like the book of Satoshi and the, they, they try to frame it as this is as powerful as a religion. But me coming from like uh, being a huge fan of uh, especially Christopher Hitchens, but also uh, Dawkins and Harris and Dennett and the, the New Atheist Movement, the, those books really uh, put the finger on what I thought about re religion, especially organized religion, and how dangerous dogmatic thinking is. Uh, like Bitcoin for me is like the next step in that. Uh, I've I've been an atheist for a long time, but I still believed that democracy was a, a good idea until very recently. Uh, after I discovered Bitcoin and like there, that, even this can be questioned. The nation state, how how is this not a religious entity also, and how is this not a cult? And there's there's a chapter in the in the book, uh, one of the last chapters, uh, comparing. Uh, the Wikipedia definition of a cult and the nation state. What 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 really separates? Uh, how is a nation state not a cult? And I couldn't really I couldn't really spot a difference between a cult and a, and a nation state. And I believe nation states are cults and organized religions are cults. And I don't believe that I was created by by anyone. I I believe that. We're here by pure chance, um, pure luck, and the odds are totally against that, except for you do exist. So if, if it didn't play out the way, if it didn't play out this way, you wouldn't have been able to observe it anyway. So in that sense, it doesn't matter if the odds are against that happening, because you wouldn't be alive to, to tell that the odds were stacked against you if, if it didn't play out the way it did. Mm -hmm. So, so like, uh, I refuse to believe stuff that I can't really verify for myself. That's my basic uh, outlook on life. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. And you were right <laughs> in, in saying that this is a, a very big rabbit hole that we could spend a whole other podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And is, is it far-fetched? <laughs> no, I don't think it's far-fetched. I think the, there is an interesting discussion, and this gets into what the role of religion was. If you remove the kind of, uh, you know, the central godlike figure and you, you talk yeah. about the role of religion in, um, in attempting to compel, but because there was no mechanism to compel, and you could even argue that perhaps the God figure was the best attempt at compelling behavior when no true, uh, no true enforcement mechanism existed to, you know, um, yeah. to, inspire behavior that would benefit the individual and the collective in the best kind of balance between the two yeah, maybe yeah, but, hold on hold on maybe we can make the case that that religion partially what that, that dynamic existed in religion and then it would be interesting to take that understanding and move it over to bitcoin and say well bitcoin is a mechanism that pro prohibits uh, prohibits or permits certain behaviors and that it can enforce the the uh, permission or prohibition of certain behaviors and is there not a similar dynamic at play there in how that molds behavior? And is that uh, kind of the oh, act yeah. of creation from <laughs> the moment? <laughs> like I said, this is a, a whole different rabbit hole. But like what you said about 
religions empowering the individual. I have a slightly different. Uh, no, no, hold on. Let me clarify. Let me clarify. What I the religious doctrine. I think one of its uh, roles was in creating an ideal for how individuals could behave or act, and that ideal perhaps was the synthesis of both how an individual could have a meaningful and, and beneficial yeah, yeah. life and balance with that of the collective. Yeah, but it's dark. It's, I, I can agree to that to some extent, but I have a much darker view of what that meant. Because if you look back at early civilizations, whenever they invent ceremonial burial, their borders expand. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because when you invent ceremonial burial, that's when you can fool 18-year-olds that there will, there, there's a life after this one. And if there's an afterlife, if you can fool them that there's an afterlife and that they will, they will get like 13 virgins or whatever or a porch when, <laughs> when, they, when they get to this afterlife, uh, then you can fool them into killing the neighboring village. And this is why when you look at, at like prehistoric civilizations and the 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 predominant cause of death in males is a blow to the head. Like <laughs> we were really violent and we killed all the Neanderthals and we killed all the Cro-Magnons and like human history is filled with conflict mm-hmm. and you can't really make a human being kill another human being. If you don't have a powerful, a story powerful enough to fool them with. And this is what the, the sociopaths and the psychopaths on top of our societies are doing have been doing to us across the ages and are still doing to this day. Yeah. It's getting harder and harder for them because everyone has a phone, uh, a camera in their smartphone, so they can't really torture people and make people do despicable things as easily as they could. Yeah. And like for the the last the 20th century, they had to invent other mechanisms of fooling people, like central banking, which played a huge role in World War One and World War Two. And the entire in military industry in Germany was financed by people who believed that their Deutschmarks were worth what what the figure on the piece of paper said they were worth, when they were in reality just printed out thin air, just like right now. Yeah. And and this is how I think nations and religions tie together. It's it's they are all systems for controlling populations, mm-hmm. controlling vast amounts of people. And they have made us able, we've been, as a, uh, the human race has been able to wipe out the competition and conquer every continent because of these stories. And our, uh, this is also in the book, by the way, in the first chapters about with the, the intersubjective reality of a shared delusion. We, and we have so many of those. And I believe to truly reimagine independence and to be independent within your within your head and to have an independent mind and to really get out of this, you, you need to to see that everything that is man-made is an illusion. Everything in society that is man-made is, is an illusion. And this is this this goes just as much for religion as it does for nations or whatever they try to put in your head there but it's it's not true and you can make your own reality you don't have to follow someone else's but i'm rambling on here well so (laughs) just to respond and not get into a big thing 
what I, what I, I totally agree that, for example, religious institutions uh, have been co-opted and corrupted and used to do a great no, number. No, but, but stop, stop. Let's cut in there. I don't believe they were ever corrupted. I believe that they've been That's corrupted all along. You gotta let me yeah. finish. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I believe, as you say, they've there much negative negative things have been done in their name. Let's put it that way. No, no, no. They were designed no, to I'm fool trying you. To get that to they were anything else. I'm trying okay, to get okay, to my okay. point. So I, it, so let me finish here. So I think much has been done in their name. But I am receptive to and interested in the the intellectual inquiry around kind of your Jordan Peterson sort of view on religion, where he looks at is was were these ideas did these ideas emerge out of some kind of evolutionary dynamic happening in human consciousness uh, and you know is there some <laughs> deeper seated like were these ideas literally co-evolved with human beings uh and then of course after that like were were they used to construct an ideal of some kind uh and were you know for the individual and did it did they kind of bring order through chaos to use his terms yeah and was that then used for all the nefarious uh things in humanity but we can't also forget the many good things that and I'm not religious just so you know but many good things that have come from um, you know, religious uh, doctrines, if not their dogmatic application, but you know, there, there's been positives too. So, yes. um, uh, as, uh, yeah. and so my 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 original uh, comparison there was moving it to to Bitcoin in understanding how Bitcoin is a mechanism for allowing or disallowing, permitting or prohibiting certain behavior, certain forms of interaction between human beings, uh, is it, is it uh, first of all, that will inevitably shape us. The things that we in- engage with that allow for certain behaviors will shape us. And uh, should, we, should we expect something that enforces behavior? Because my original assertion was that these kind of religious doctrines were for guiding behavior, but had no enforcement mechanism. Will the enforcement of the behavior that Bitcoin allows or, prohib- uh, uh, or prohibits, uh, is that the reason why we see quasi-religious fervor around Bitcoin? Probably. Take the uh, uh, All right. <laughs> I would say that Bitcoin will probably succeed where religions failed in doing, in making people better people. Because instead of focusing on a narrative or a story which we can all agree on that like if we think there's a higher power then maybe we will behave better against that's the enforcement mechanism for yeah yeah but i don't really believe that because you can look at different methods like south america there's much more crime in south america than in scandinavia for instance and we're not religious at all here and right. everyone's religious in south america like and if you look at different areas across there are many many things like uh which you can you can point to this is uh, like if you go to the most religious place on earth saudi arabia probably and it's literally the last place on earth where i would want to live <laughs> that's or north korea which i also consider to be a religion anyway I would say that Bitcoin will succeed in making people better people because instead of focusing on being a good story, it just 
it, it plays on our incentives and how we interact with each other. And we can't, we can't benefit from Bitcoin if we're not peaceful and provide something of value to each other. And that's how it changes us. And of course, I can see how people liken this to a religious epiphany. But for me, it's like it's more like the light bulb of, hang on, this is none of this is true. I can, I don't have to follow orders. I can think for myself. Like the, the light bulb moment is is the complete opposite to religious experience for me. It's like, no, hang on, that was also a lie. Wait, <laughs> but why? <laughs> like you know, to access the kingdom of Bitcoin, you must follow the consensus rules. Uh, yeah, uh, but not I'm, really. I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a make comparison to if you want to access the kingdom of heaven, you have to follow whatever the... the, the no, no, no. But the thing is, if you want access to the kingdom of Bitcoin, all you need to do is provide value to your fellow man and make sure that they pay you in Bitcoin. You don't have to follow the consensus rules unless you want to mine Bitcoin. That's a completely different thing. Like... You don't even I guess have, to you have to follow. Yeah, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're running your own node. You don't have to follow any rules. You just have to make sure that your that your node is aware of what rules the miners need to follow. Right. So you have like, to accept. Right. Them. You have to accept those rules. No, you have to because you're, well, you're by using by using the tools to op, to interact with the network. You're accepting those rules that that you can't do anything other than what those rules dictate. Yeah, you're you're. Well, I wouldn't use the word accepting. You're, you're so. Uh, <laughs> in order to trust all these people, <laughs> with all these big servers and all these incentives to screw you over, you need some way of of verifying that they're not that they're not playing an unfair game and that they're they're not trying to screw you over. Right. And that's what you're doing. If you want to call that giving in to rules uh, that's not how i view it <laughs> well i mean yeah I, I would not give i would say Follow, you're, following rules i'm not following rules you're I'm making sure that other people rule, do. you're accepting a certain rule set right yeah yeah of course i am because i'm convinced that this rule set is the only shot at uh, decentralization we have yeah. And decentralization is the only shot we have. Is the only mechanism that can ever make a fixed supply cap of an asset work. Yes, of course. And, that's a whole and, other. And, that's a whole other issue. The point. That's is, a whole no and a whole other rabbit hole. And it's right. in the book. <laughs> the point is to interact with the, that particular network, this particular one, we're kind of in, in, implicitly agreeing to play by a certain set of rules, because if we don't, we can't access it. Right. No, and we're not playing by the rules. We're making sure that the ones that are trying to actually that we're we're making sure that the that the gold rush people are playing by the rules. The miners are playing by the rules. Right. We're accepting like, we're accepting the limitations of whatever this thing that we're interacting with has. By using them, that's what we're what, what we're doing, right? Yeah, because otherwise there would be no point. But that's that's, that's just like saying that's like saying you're accepting that's like saying because you can figure out that two plus two equals four, you're accepting the rules of mathematics. That's like it's not accepting anything. It's it's just verifying that what 
whatever those guys are doing is not has not been corrupted. Right. So, so I don't really view it as accepting rules. Well, there's, because some, a, that, there's some interaction between what the rules dictate is possible in terms of behavior and how you engage with a system with those dictates, right? I don't yeah, know what, yeah, yeah. But of course, of course, disagreeing with the rules may also be the correct options, the correct option from time to time. Like if enough people do that, the the then Bitcoin will follow another path and do another day. I like like the the user activated soft fork and the, the to, no two x movement and all this. This was a testament to this. Like all the miners wanted to do one thing, and all the users wanted to do another thing. So we weren't accepting their rules. We were accepting no, you can't cheat us. We we're not accepting your rules. We're in, we're making sure that you follow our rules or we'll just abandon the abandon ship and go somewhere else. Right. So we, That's we, up, what happened. We, up, we upheld the rules that we wanted to play by. Exactly. Yeah. So we made sure that they weren't cheating when with their pieces on the chessboard. That's, that's the only thing. And if you want to call that accepting the rules, like if I play a game of chess with you, I don't want you to cheat. Right. <laughs> like, uh, so we accept the rules of the easy. game that we're both playing by, right? Exactly. Right. And it's just like playing any other game. It's, it's just like wh when we're using fiat money, we're, we're completely unable to, to check that anyone is playing by any rules. Right. So, so that's, that's the difference here. Uh, you, I, I, I know you already know all this, <laughs> and you're just happy having me having this rant about it, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're saying the exact same shit. We should have shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course we are. Um, it's a wonderful circle, your community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Knut, uh, we'll have to break into this chestnut some other time, and and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Take it uh, to its proper end. But for now, uh, let's put a, a pin in it. Do you have any uh, anything you want to? Say his last words before we say goodbye. Uh, well, you find most of my Bitcoin stuff on Twitter. Uh, you find my books on Amazon. And I'm happy to say they're also available in, uh, well, the first one is in German and Finnish at the moment. And the Italian translation is just about done. Exciting. Mir is, is doing the proofreading and she's almost done with it. Uh, I'm very eager and can't wait for it to come out and uh, the second book is being translated to german there was just a second edition of sovereignty published in germany uh and i'm really happy about that and that the books are doing so well of course uh and a huge thank you to all everyone in this community because i enjoy this ride so much and i love all of you and i can't wait to meet you all in meat space and have a couple of beers and an overpriced steak dinner with you. <laughs> like that's, that's like my top of my list now when, when, uh, when this whole insanity thing blows over. Yeah. I can't I wait. I really want either. to see it. No, no. I'm, I'm sure I speak for everybody when I say uh, thank you for taking the time and the courage to express yourself and put out this great work. And, uh, it's always a pleasure to chat, man. I look forward to the next one already. And the same to you, John. You have a, you have a way of pulling things out of people that is just superb. I love your stuff, man. No, I, very much, I very much appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yes, thank you All for right. this. And sorry Brother. for rambling on for too long. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Thank you.
Flip, flip, up, flip, up, flip, up.